Great to be in the house of the Lord. Yeah, I'm excited about today, and food's piling up back there, so that's always awesome. And um, really excited about partaking of the Lord's Supper with you all, the act that Jesus commanded um, us uh, in, in worship to Him. Children are dismissing now. Um, we're going through the book of Acts, and today we're, we're speaking about uh, Peter's, the first Christian sermon, if you will, Peter's uh, proclamation of the gospel when he, uh, he preached after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the topic of that sermon, um, which will be the topic of this sermon, is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So let me pray for us one more time and we'll get going here. Uh, King Jesus, we're grateful for today, grateful for the opportunity uh, to be here and worship you. And so God, I just pray that you would um, incline our hearts to you this morning, that you would help us to see you, God, for who you are, that you would help us to learn from that very first Christian sermon, Lord, those earth-shattering words, Lord, that, um, that this Jesus who was crucified in him is forgiveness of sins, uh, eternal life, times of refreshing, Lord, that we don't deserve. And so speak to our hearts this morning. God, help us to understand these things, understand your word, understand the scriptures. That we may walk in faith and trust and obedience to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, I do invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one in the back of the pew in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home that you can read, you're welcome to take that one home with you. That'll be our gift to you. We also have some Bibles on, on the shelf in the lobby that are free um, if, you need, if you need one. Um, but we're going through the book of Acts, and we're seeing how the story of Jesus is continued through the powerful working of His Spirit, um, which He poured out on His people from on high. So last week, we saw how the, uh, how the church stayed in Jerusalem, awaiting for the, the day of Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon them in power uh, in order that they would be uh, enabled by, by the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel and be his witnesses as he said they would be in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. And we saw how when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind, okay, and, uh, and, and tongues, uh, divided tongues as a fire rested upon each one of them, and they began speaking the gospel and proclaiming the mighty works of God through Jesus in unlearned languages, okay? Such that uh, a crowd began to gather because at that time, uh, Jews from various lands uh, had returned to Jerusalem, uh, and even though they probably spoke the local languages, their heart language was all these uh, other kind of obscure languages throughout the world, and yet they were hearing the gospel proclaimed by these Galileans in their own heart languages. All right, so this was an obvious miracle, and to some, they're wondering, well, what does this mean, right? Well, naturally, if you see a miracle, an undeniable, indisputable miracle, your natural question should be, well, what does, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my life? What does this mean for what, uh, you know, what's happening? What's God doing? Of course, and, and then for other people, they dismissed it as um, already had too much to drink that morning. But Peter stands up with power from on high, and he proclaims to the Jews what they refused to believe before, namely, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's the only one that can save. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we talk about Jesus is Lord, 
from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse, in verse 14. If you're able and willing, let me invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. It is a little bit longer passage today, um, but uh, it's, it's going to be worth reading it all here. Acts 2, verse 14. It says, But Peter was standing with the eleven. Uh, uh, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us this, uh, to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to, into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and, and, uh, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so this is the first Christian sermon, and we're going to look at it under four headings uh, this morning, because what's surprising, if you've never noticed about this sermon, is it's actually a sermon from the Bible, <laughs> as all sermons should be. But Peter is actually preaching from the Old Testament. Peter is preaching Jesus from the Old Testament, and this is what he sees. Number one is that the Spirit marks the beginning of the last days. The Spirit marks the beginning of the last days. Number two, the resurrection confirms Jesus is king. 
the resurrection confirms Jesus is king. The ascension, number three, the ascension proves Jesus is Lord. The ascension proves Jesus is Lord. And number four, the spirit is the gift to those who repent. The spirit is the gift to those who repent. All those are in the sermon note sheet in your bulletin if you grabbed one of those. So the first thing we want to look at is how the spirit marks the beginning of the last days. So God has set up uh, in this event, right? So this is the book of Acts. This is the beginning of the church, right? God has set up in this event uh, a miraculous occasion and speaking in unknown languages uh, the glories of Christ for this very moment to testify to the truth of the gospel to those Jews right, who were dwelling in Jerusalem, because Jesus told them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the immediate aim of Peter in this sermon, right, is he's seizing the moment that God has given him to to preach the gospel, okay, because this miraculous event has happened and all the people are wondering, what is going on? How are these Galileans speaking in unlearned languages? You know, what does all this mean? And Peter stands up and says, let me tell you what it means. All right? This event happened, and it happened for a reason. God's wanting to communicate something to you. And, and, this, and so Peter stands up and says, this is what it means. Uh, they're not drunk, as some were saying, because it's the third hour of the day. Uh, at, at that time, uh, uh, days were reckoned by taking the amount of daylight hours uh, of daylight and dividing it into 12 hours into 12 parts, so um, whatever day of the year it happened to be, they would, they, would just, they would call it by hours, but it would just be that amount of daylight divided in 12 equal parts, so, you know, throughout the year, you know, some hours would be longer or shorter than others, but that's just how they reckoned the day, but the third hour would be roughly about 9 a.m., and if you're drunk by 9 a.m. in the morning, I love you, but you need help, okay, and, and, um, and we, we can help you, okay, but Peter is saying, ah, that's not, what, that's not what's happening, all right? That's, that's, not, that's not at all what's happening, right? Peter's explanation comes directly from Scripture. He says, you want, you want to really know what's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. In the prophet Joel, Joel said that this would happen, and then he literally quotes Joel 2.28 uh, through uh, 2.32, right? Where it says, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit, and people will... See visions and dreams and, and wonders in heaven and signs on the earth below, v- blood, vapor, and smoke. And then it says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, what is interesting about this is that Peter, <laughs> Peter sli- he slightly tweaks uh, the, the quotation, right? Because in Joel 2.28, in the Hebrew text, it says, it says, later or afterwards it shall be that I will pour out my spirit on the uh, on all flesh, but Peter quotes it as, uh, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Now, what is, what is that? What is, is Peter just kind of messing around with the text? No, he's interpreting the text, right? He is identifying that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, in his, uh, in, in his understanding as an apostle of Jesus Christ, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the marker of the last days. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Peter's logic, in biblical logic, is the, is, the, is the beginning of the last days. So that's what he's talking about. Now, for us, that, that seems kind of confusing because when we think of last days, we typically think of, you know, Jesus is about to come back and there's the Antichrist and there's like a one world government and all this stuff that, that we, you know, we read in our Left Behind novels because those are always biblically accurate. And um, that's a joke, by the way. And so, so like... We, we think about the end times, 
in these categories, but biblically speaking, like if you actually go through the New Testament and look everywhere where it refers to the last days, what you clearly see is that the, the earliest Christians understood that they were living in the last days. That the that that the out that that Jesus constituted the fulfillment of the ancient promises of God so that Jesus was Jesus, the ministry of Jesus was the was the marker of that 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 God was bringing in his 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 ancient promises it was the it was the it was the marker of the last days and so he's so Peter in the holy spirit is literally telling all these Jews here that Joel 2:28 is literally being fulfilled before their very eyes right that the that the last days are or have arrived with the coming of Jesus and with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, and so, and Jesus, Joel's prophecy is being fulfilled before their eyes. And by the way, if you remember, around Jesus' death, there were, in fact, some of these cosmic signs that Joel re- refers to, right? The sun was darkened during uh, Jesus' crucifixion. All right? His blood was shed. Uh, the massive veil in the temple, uh, which was the massively thick curtain impossible to be torn by human hands but it was torn from top to bottom inside the temple when Jesus was crucified okay and so you have these uh, in addition to all the miracles and stuff that Jesus himself performed and so you have all these signs being performed and Peter is saying that's nothing other than what uh, God fulfilling what he said he was going to uh, in the last days by the coming of Jesus and by uh, uh, his, his life and ministry, all right? And so, um, and the, what, the major sign of the, the last days, according to Joel and according to Peter, is that the Spirit is being poured out on all people, right? Now, this is remarkable because if you remember, and this, this passage has always stood out to me in the Old Testament, right? Um, if you remember, there is a, there's a place in book of Numbers, Numbers 11, to be in fact, uh, in fact, where... Um, where God tells Moses that he was going to take some of the spirit that was on him, right, and, and, and give it to some other people. And so God does that, and, and, but not all the people had gathered like they were supposed to around the temple. And so some of the guys remained in the camp, and, uh, and they started prophesying in the camp, all right? And Joshua, you know, Moses' protege, was like, hey, you know, they're prophesying over there, and and, and Joshua gets a little jealous because he's like, you know, if, if other people start prophesying like that, people, he thinks people aren't going to listen to Moses, all right? But Moses kind of rebukes uh, Joshua and says, uh, in, in Numbers eleven twenty nine, he says, would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. In other words, um, in other words Moses is basically like, no, don't be jealous. I, I wish that everybody had the Holy Spirit. But they don't. If, every, if all the Jews had the Holy Spirit, Moses wouldn't have been so aggravated all the time like he was, right? The problem was that they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And see, so Moses, he said, would that all the Lord's people had the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? God answered Moses' prayer. Because in the last days, God said, I will, in fact, pour out my Spirit, not just on a handful of people, but on all my people, on all who believe in me on all who trust in my name. So that's number one. The Spirit marks the beginning of the last days. And if we are God's people, we possess the Holy Spirit, which means we don't have an excuse to be 
hard-hearted and grumbling and, and rebellious like the Israelites did, all right? Because we got the Holy Spirit, and they didn't. So, the, number one, the Spirit marks the beginning of the last days. And number two, the resurrection confirms that Jesus is king. The resurrection confirms Jesus is king. If you look again there in verses 22 through 32, right, he, he, he after he talks about, after he explains the, the speaking in tongues and how that, that's a sign of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and thus it's the mark of the last days, he takes the next part of his sermon, okay, to talk about, you know, Jesus, the one through whom all these things are taking place, all right? Now, who is Jesus? He says, he, in verse 22, he was a man attested by God with mighty works and wonders. So, in other words, God vindicated Jesus. God identified Jesus as his son by all the miracles that Jesus performed, which, was, which were indisputable, all right? And not only that, but in verse 23, right, it says that they delivered Jesus up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So, in other words, Jesus' crucifixion was not an accident. It was part of God's plan. And God raised him up. There's the resurrection, right? God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was impossible for him to be held by it. And then he quotes there, he quotes Psalm 16, uh, namely verse 27, You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. All right? So this is the first argument that Peter is giving from Scripture about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit how it's marking the last days, and they're seeing it with their own two eyes, and specifically how Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the promises that God made. So again, remember, this is, this is he's, he's a Jew speaking to Jews, right, who they, they believe the Bible, the Old Testament, they believe the Scripture, and he's proving to them that, like, everything that happened, because, you know, for, you know, for the Jews, and it should be for us Christians as well, right, we're sitting there thinking, okay, you can say that, but what does the Bible say, right? Anybody could say, oh, I'm the Messiah, but what does the Bible say? And how does Jesus fit into that plan? Well, this is, this is Peter explaining it, right? He said that, that Jesus is the one whom, whom they crucified. And, and these crowds, they knew, they knew exactly who he was talking about, right? This was 50 days after the Passover, right? This is the same people who were in Jerusalem 50 days earlier for the Passover, they're now in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the First Fruits, all right? And many, and some of those in the crowd might have been the same people who said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We want Barabbas, we want Barabbas, we want Barabbas, all right? And Peter is preaching to these people, and he's saying, you're the one who crucified Jesus, all right? This was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In other words, in other words it was an accident, right? There are no accidents, all right? The point is, is that even sin and evil are in the hands of God to ultimately fulfill his plan and good purposes, all right? The greatest evil that was ever committed, the murder of the Son of God, God took the greatest evil ever committed and used it to be the greatest act of good that was ever committed, that was ever done. The forgiveness of the sins of the world through his Son, all right? So, key takeaway there, right? God can use the pain and evils and hardships of your life for good. And in fact, and in fact, we, we trust and believe that everything that happens to us is ultimately a part of God's plan for him to work ultimate good through everything that he's doing. And we know that because of the cross, because of what God did through us for Jesus on the cross. Jesus died, but it was impossible for death to hold him. So Jesus didn't stay dead, all right? Uh, the, the pangs of death, the bonds of death have no power over Jesus. 
and Peter says that this had to happen. Because, so again, like, we have to put ourselves, like, in the Jewish mindset, right? A crucified Messiah for the Jews would have been like a contradiction in terms, right? It'd be like talking about a married bachelor. It's like, what is that? That don't, that don't even make sense, right? Well, a crucified Messiah, like, how could somebody literally be, like, God's anointed chosen king and then die? It makes zero, it makes zero sense. How could there be a crucified Messiah? But that's the whole part. But Peter is saying, I'll tell you how, because the Scripture said it had to happen. The Scripture said it has to happen. He quotes Psalm 16, and then in verse 27 there, it, it says, You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Well, corruption there is not referring to like a political corruption. It's referring to the decay of the human body, all right? The decay of the human body. And what, so notice Peter's logic. Peter is interpreting the Old Testament. Notice Peter's logic. He's saying, David wrote, David wrote in this psalm that he would not die, or God would not let him die or let his Holy One see corruption, not, like, not let his body decay in the grave. But Peter notices what? Peter notices that, in fact, however, David did die, and David is in the grave because we know where his tomb is. So what does that mean about Psalm 16? It means David was talking about somebody else beside himself. Somebody else beside himself who did die, but God would not allow him to decay in the grave. In other words, David, by, by the Holy Spirit, was prophesying about Jesus, the Christ who was to come, who had to die for the sin of the world, but that he would not uh, stay dead. God would raise him from the dead. Jesus is alive, and for Peter, that means he's the king. And for us, that means he's the king. So the Spirit marks the beginning of the last days. The resurrection confirms Jesus is king. And then number three, the ascension proves Jesus is Lord. The ascension proves Jesus is Lord. He, uh, in verse 33 there, Peter says that Jesus was exalted at the right hand of God, uh, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured, uh, he poured the Holy Spirit out on us as, as they were seeing and hearing. And then he cites another verse, right? Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So again, Peter is preaching Christ from the Old Testament. That's why you got to read your Old Testament, folks. You can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. When, when the apostles in the New Testament are preaching Christ, where are they preaching Christ from? From the Old Testament. They're preaching Christ from the Old Testament, right? And, and what's, what's his argument here? He's saying that the ascension proves that Jesus is Lord, right? Jesus is king. Jesus rose from the dead. But, of course, a reasonable question would be, all right, Peter, well, if Jesus is alive, then where is he? Well, that's a pretty good question, right? If Jesus is alive, where is he, you know? And, and Peter's like, well, he ascended into heaven. And it was like, well, that's convenient. No, it's not just convenient. That's literally what happened because God, that's exactly what God said had to happen, Right? Jesus had to ascend into heaven in order to fulfill Scripture because this is what Psalm 110, one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament says. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. If you remember, this is the exact passage Jesus used to silence the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He asked them a question about this passage that they could not answer, right? Because David says in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, 
sit at my right hand. Well, what's the logic in that verse? Again, you got to think deeply about the scripture, right? What's the logic in that verse? The logic is that David is, uh, David is talking to the Lord, namely God, but then God is saying something to my Lord or David's Lord. So there's three people. There's David. David is talking about God, the Lord, but the Lord, God, said to my Lord, that is David's Lord. So what does that mean? It means that there's another person beside David who David himself calls Lord. But what is interesting about that, don't forget, guys, David is the king of Israel. David already is the most powerful person in the nation of Israel. Who in the world is David's Lord? It's Jesus. Somebody greater than David. The Lord, David said, said to my Lord, what, what did he tell him? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In other words, David prophesied that his own Lord, namely the Messiah, namely Jesus, would be called by God back into heaven to sit at God's right hand until God made all of his enemies his footstool, that, until God defeated all of Christ's enemies, which is why Jesus said, for example, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? Because the plan is that Jesus would reign first, not on earth, but he would reign from heaven where he would build his kingdom by the Holy Spirit through the church until all the enemies of Christ are defeated. And the, the Bible talks about it this way, right? It's not, it's not physical warfare, warfare, it's spiritual warfare. Jesus said that Jesus said that the gospel will be proclaimed until all nations, until, until literally, until that there, will be, there will be a last human being. There, will be, there's a, there's a person appointed by God who will literally be the last person to hear the gospel and be saved. And then Jesus will come back. Right? Jesus is, going, Jesus is reigning from heaven until, until that appointed day when all his enemies are made his footstool, the kingdom of God. Kingdom of Christ has reached its climax leading up into the point when Jesus returns to take it back for himself, right? And that's what, he, that's what he's talking about. So Peter's point is this, that in order to fulfill God's plan and purposes, Jesus had to ascend back into heaven from which he reigns at God's right hand and he will put all his enemies under his feet, right? So we cited the Apostles' Creed uh, this morning, right? Uh, he he, he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. That is one of the most ancient creeds in the entire church. That is one of the most ancient statements of what Christians have believed throughout all of human history, that Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven, that he right now, as I speak, is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he is there reigning from heaven, awaiting the day when he is going to return to judge the living and the dead. All right, we, we don't, you know, we often, when we think about the big events in Jesus' life, we think about Christmas, we think about Easter, rarely do we think about the ascension. But biblically speaking, the ascension is really important too because it, 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 it's the time when Jesus is exalted at God's right hand and that receiving, that uh, ascending into heaven, sitting at God's right hand, God gives him the Holy Spirit that he then gives to us where he reigns from heaven until his kingdom comes, all right? So Jesus' ascension and outpouring of the Holy Spirit prove, according to Peter, that Jesus is David's Lord, and therefore that he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And get this, they crucified him. And that, that takes us to the last point, and that is that 
the Spirit is God's gift to those who repent. It says in verse 37, is that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many other words, verse 40, he exhorted them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then 3,000 people got saved. So what has Peter done? He's done exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. The Holy Spirit was going to come, and when the Holy Spirit came, they would be his witnesses beginning in Jerusalem, which is exactly what happened. They proclaimed the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, okay, that, uh, that Jesus is Lord and that they're the ones who crucified him, and 3,000 people heard it and got saved. When, they, when, they, when Peter preached the gospel, it, the Bible says that they were cut to the heart. That's what happens when you preach God's word to people. That's what happens before you get saved is that God has to cut you to the heart. Right? That, that's, kind of, that's kind of like the little bit uncomfortable, unsavory part of God's uh, plan of salvation, right? But you, 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 the, salvation means nothing if God's not saving you from something, right? We have to understand what we're being saved from. We're being saved from our sin, right? We have to be, we have to be convicted of our sin. We have to be cut to the heart over our sin and rebellion against God for us to be saved. And that's exactly what happened. And when they were cut to the heart... That was the beginning of their salvation because they were able to ask Peter, oh my goodness, we've killed our own Messiah. That's a big problem. What are you going to do when you killed your own Messiah? How in the world are you going to be saved when you killed the only person who could save you? Well, Peter says, well, there's good news. You can repent. You can repent. Repent means to turn. It means to change your mind. It means to change your direction, your direction in your heart and in your life. Repent means to acknowledge that you have been living as your own Lord and that you now see that you're not the Lord but Jesus is. And that now you're going to turn from trusting in yourself and trusting in, 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 to trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord. And you're going to live for him and follow him. All right? You need to repent, Peter says, and be baptized. Now, you know, some people use this as a proof text to say you, you got to, you know, that baptism is kind of like this magical rite or, you know, quote-unquote necessary for salvation. But the point, but that's not what Peter is saying. He, he's simply saying that baptism, Christ did command baptism, so baptism is massively important, right? If you're going to follow Jesus, you do need to be baptized. You do need to be baptized. I don't think now being baptized doesn't magically save you. There's a lot of people who have been baptized, tragically, who aren't going to be in heaven, right? Because Jesus said there are lots of people who say, Lord, Lord, uh, but, but will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But the point is, is that, is that if you are saved, you do need to be baptized. Because what is baptism, right? It's commanded by Christ, so it's one of the first act of obedience that you have to do in, in obedience to Jesus Christ. And secondly... It's the way to publicly identify with Christ's people as part of his new kingdom community, right? You can hardly say that you follow Jesus if you're not willing to publicly, publicly renounce your old self and publicly proclaim that Jesus Christ has made you new, right? If you, Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father who is in heaven. So if you're not willing to publicly renounce your claim to, to yourself and publicly say, I'm now living for Jesus, we can hardly say that we follow Christ. 
all right? That's why, that's why baptism is so important, right? It's public renunciation of my old self. It's public identification with my new self and public identification with his redeemed, saved, eternal people. So in the Spirit, Peter says that they must repent and be baptized to be saved, and they're cut to the heart. And that's what the Word of God does. It exposes our guilt. It exposes our sin. But that's actually the best place to be because when we're, when we're cut to the heart over our sin, that's, that's when we're at the precipice of salvation because that's when we call on the Lord. And what did, what did the passage in Joel say that Peter cited? He said that in that time, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you call on the Lord, and, and if we call on the Lord and acknowledge and say, I mean, my goodness, think about, think about what has happened here. The first people that Jesus is extending his salvation to are the people who crucified him. The first people Jesus is offering forgiveness to are the very people who crucified him. Remember what he said? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's love, y'all. That's mercy. That's grace. That's what God did through Jesus Christ. He's offering forgiveness. There's not many kings who would offer that deal, but that's what Jesus did, right? And this the same, the same is true of us, right? I mean, if we, if we, if we were alive, if we were Jewish and we lived in, you know, 33 AD, you know where we would be in Jerusalem? We would have been with the crowd yelling, crucify him. That's where we would have been. You, why? Because, because why, why was Jesus on the cross? For my sin. I crucified Jesus. He died for us. He died for our sin, right? That, that we're the ones, the, the ones who crucified him, he's the, they're the very ones he offers forgiveness to. And the, great, the incredible thing about Jesus being alive at this very moment is that Jesus wasn't just offering forgiveness then. He's offering forgiveness today. Today, we can lay down <laughs> our claims to, to, to be Lord of ourselves, and we can serve him who is the, the Lord of, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We can accept his free offer of forgiveness and mercy to repent, to be baptized, to trust in him, to follow him, to receive the forgiveness. And not just that, Peter says, but to receive the Holy Spirit. Because when we receive Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, we are changed. The Holy Spirit is the gift of those who repent. It's not, it's not uh, change yourself uh, and then change yourself so that you can come to Jesus. It is it is. Come to Jesus, and he'll change you. That's how it works. The, point, the, the whole point of, you, of Jesus saving you is that you couldn't save yourself. If you, if you could save yourself, Jesus wouldn't, have needed to, Jesus wouldn't have died, right? He died so that he could save you, so that he could change you. And that's the, that's the call. The Spirit is the gift to those who repent. If you don't have the Spirit of God living inside of you, I pray you receive them today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, when Peter preached that, that 
fateful day 2,000 years ago. Um, they, I'm sure, Lord, they didn't even fully grasp everything that was happening, Lord. But on that day, you birthed your church. You forgave the very ones, Lord, who, who crucified you. But it is, it is your glory, Lord, to forgive those who deserve it the least, including people like me. And so thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for um, your kindness, Lord, which, which knows no limit and which knows no bounds. And so, God, I pray this morning that if there's any in this room, Lord, who has yet to receive that gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help them, by the power of your Spirit this morning, help them to see, Lord, that, that, you, that you are Lord. And that there is none like you. And that you, that you forgive all who hope in you freely, graciously, willingly. A free gift of grace that cannot be earned and that cannot be deserved. And I pray that that gift may be received today. Lord, we worship you and we love you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.